You know how cool this is? What, just chatting? Yeah, I mean, like, when I got back in the DDR community, it was, like, the era panel, like, it was so cool, because, like, to me, it was, like, the cool kids club, you know? I was like, holy shit. And I wasn't, like, I mean, like, I knew, I had known everybody in the community, but it was still, like, it's, it's cool two years later, two, three we're, years later. We're, we're not cool at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It's just the kids' clothes. I, I think it depends on how you define cool. Hey. Welcome to the Arrow Panel, your favorite podcast about dance games uh, like Dance Dance Revolution, In the Groove, Pump It Up, and all the other ones that exist. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Roger Clark, at Roger Clark on Twitter, and here we've got... Uh, I'm Dalton, uh, at Run Dalton Run on Twitter. And today we've got a special guest, uh, Leon. Hello, Leon Brunson. Hello. And... Your Twitter handle is? Uh, yes, Leon C. Brunson, and my Twitter handle is Leon, at Leon C. Brunson. Nice. You, you, got, you guys both got the... Uh, the real first, name. The real name lockdown. Yeah, someone had Leon Brunson on everything else, so I had to, I had to settle with the C. That's more unique anyway. Yeah, exactly. Roger's name is actually Roger C. Lark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we decided it's been a while since we've done a, a aero panel episode, but we figured, you know, now in, in this quarantine era that this would be a good time to, to catch up with our, our buddy Leon. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to Leon is I think he's been making a lot of, uh, progress lately with streaming dance games on Twitch and also just playing ITG, I think that you're... I, I personally wanted to talk to you a little bit about getting back into ITG, which is, you know, now that a lot of us can't go to the arcade, there are, you know, limited options for what we can play as far as dance games go. Right. And it seems like a lot of people have shifted over into playing ITG or their home setups so I, I thought that you'd have a pretty good perspective on moving from DDR into the ITG world, the modern ITG world, and plenty of other stuff that we could talk to you about. Oh, today. absolutely. Yeah. So just what what have you what have you kind of been up to lately? Oh gosh. So, um, I I feel I stay busy all the time. I mean, like I feel like I always need to be doing something. Like I feel guilty just sitting down and watching TV. That's just like how I am. Um, so. Before this all happened, I worked at Cool Beans Cafe. It's a restaurant here in Tallahassee. Um, number one on Yelp and TripAdvisor. Um, won Best of Tally and Best Casual Dining Restaurant here in Tallahassee. It's, it's, it's a great restaurant. Um, I, were, I would work there full-time as well as being a private chef um, as well as teaching cooking classes. So I was very busy um, before all this happened. How would so, you how'd you have time to even find time for dance games in, the, in there? literally would just not sleep like that would be my sacrifice it would be i would work eight to nine and then i would play dance games from like uh 10 to about 12 or 10 to 1 
Um, Jeez. Yeah, I just well, because like I'll be like, oh, let me just play for a couple minutes, and then a thirty minute session turns into an hour, and then it just kept going. So um, before all this happened, I stayed very busy, um, just cooking all all the time, just just consistently cooking. And then um, once the pandemic happened, Cool Beans Cafe closed, and I stopped teaching cooking classes at Browns. So that left me with one job. Um, I'm very fortunate. I know a lot of people in this industry are not, um, but I, I still have a consistent income and I'm still working. So, but since I have a little bit more time on my hand, I was like, how, what is it that I need to get done or what have I been working on? So the things that I'd been working on up to this point, but hadn't had time to get to were my Twitch setup and like all, all live streaming. So it just like, it was things that I had been working on piece by piece but now I had the time to do it, and it, not only that, but it was the perfect time to do it. I mean, yeah. What else are you gonna do? <laughs> right. It's like like you're in, everyone's in their house, so it's like might as well work out all the the kinks with the uh, the the Twitch streaming. So you, you're you're streaming, you're doing dance games some days and like cooking some other days, or what? What's your what's your setup? Right. So where I'm at now is I want to stream uh, four to five days a week, and I want it to be on a consistent schedule. And so basically what started out is I was just doing dance games, and then I did a cooking stream, and then it got pretty big. And, and so now I have to do a Facebook Live cooking stream along with a Twitch cooking stream, along with the Twitch dance game streams. So uh, basically I've, I've got a schedule worked out where I'll stream dance games um, three to four days a week, and I'll cook one day a week. Nice. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've been getting, like, press coverage and stuff there, too. It's it's insane. So, basically, how this started was it's, like, obviously, like, I'm cooking already at my house. Um, I might as well just, like, share it with people. And so, it was, like, okay, let's throw up a webcam and a microphone, you know, and then call it a day. And I did that. And the first stream was, like, my most viewed Twitch stream was actually a lot of fun. Um, and then the second stream, we got another camera. Um Shout out Renatalis. Um, we got another camera, so we had another view. And then at that point, that's when Tallahassee got a hold of it. And they, um, our food writer, her name's Rochelle, she writes all the big review articles for all the restaurants in town, highly respected. And so she reached out to me, and she was like, hey, I hear you're, you're doing cooking classes. I'd like to write an article. It's going to be published in um, Tallahassee Table, which is our local food blog, and it's also going to be published in the Democrat. And so... At that point, this was like probably about a week and a half into um, the COVID-19 shutdown and everything. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. Awesome. Well, so now like a, a, a little bit intimidating. Yeah, it's like, OK, well, now now I've got a little bit of a little bit of pressure. It wasn't pressure, but it was like it what turned into kind of like a piece by piece project was now this is going to be I don't know who's going to see this. And now it's going to be published in the paper, I want it to be like pristine and presentable. So it, it really all escalated quickly from the point of Rochelle hitting me up. And at that point, what I did was I invested in audio. I um, sourced a local videographer here. His name's V Win, good friend of mine from high school. He's, he does all my videos and everything. Um, he actually came by and we set up all the lighting. Um, we worked for about four and a half hours on the lighting and what, wow. like, and not only the lighting, but the set design. And that, that was all on his own. Like he came over with notes and was like, you need 
to put pictures on the wall. You need to frame some pictures here. You need to put some things on the fridge. You need to fill up the set design. It needs to look like a professional kitchen. I was like, oh, God, like <laughs> I didn't even think about all that. And he came over with a plan. So we did the lighting. And a mask. Right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very, very, very serious because he hadn't left his house up to that point. He was like, look, I don't I don't really want to leave. He, he was like, I don't want to leave my house, but I understand, like, you're going to be in the paper. So like let's let's get it done but let's let's do it the right way so yep yep that's uh, super nice oh absolutely and and he he is super knowledgeable on those kind of things so when he came over it was just like in his head he had already worked everything out he was like you need to change this camera angle you need to move this camera angle you need to put these lights you need to have them at this intensity um he also recommended what lights and lantern bulbs and everything i ordered so having him come by and do all the lighting was huge and I had a professional eye on that along with investing in audio and my roommate is a producer here in Tallahassee so him and I worked together on mixing the audio and it's still a work in progress but like I, I've got a lot of help from from good sources and so along with some uh, Ryan built me an overlay um, and a lot of help from friends with Streamlabs so it all really came together at the perfect time when Tallahassee was covering it yeah, I mean that's uh, something we've talked about before on the show too. That that like the community is just so like supportive of each other, and like everybody has like different sets of skills and things that, you know, everybody's just kind of willing to pitch in to, you know, especially when they see somebody like you, you know, doing great things. It's incredible. It's 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 amazing. Like, it's honestly part of the reason why I'm I I play dance games today. It's like the this community is so different. And I'm not a huge, I'm not a part of fighting game communities or other like video game communities, but it's, it's much smaller and intimate, you know? And a lot of us have been friends or known each other for close to like, you know, 15, 10 plus years, you know? So it's like when, when that support is there, it's, it's honestly amazing to see. So you're, so you're doing both cooking and, uh, the dance game stuff. And do you, I'm assuming that there's probably a lot of carrying over, like the audience between both of those, like, are you getting a good response from the dance game community on your cooking streams? Oh, and, oh, and vice versa. Yeah. So it's funny because it's like I think it's great to if you're a streamer. What I've noticed is when people when they can stream across like maybe like two topics or three topics, it's really nice for the subscribers to be able to have multiple things to look at. You know, even with YouTube, it's like maybe this one person specializes in one thing, but then they introduce another thing. It's interesting. Um, but for me, like, you know, my, the, the main reason I was using Twitch was for dance games, right? And so, like, I'm very happy with how my dance game stream turns out. But then I did my, um, then I did my cooking stream, and my cooking stream was four times the amount of my dance game stream. Um, and viewers yeah so it's funny because it's like the cooking um is is really the main uh the main pull on my twitch versus dance games but it's cool because it, it does it there is carryover from the cooking streams to dance game and vice versa like a lot of people may not want to sit down and and you know watch a full in the groove stream uh, mainly because you know they just may not be familiar with charts or or it honestly may not be in the mood for it but if they're at home and you know they got the computer next to them, they throw on Twitch and they're watching someone sear some salmon and scallops. You know, it's and it'll be interactive. It's it's more of a pool. You know, it's a little more of an attractive option. So. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess with with dance games, there's not like 
a, a story or there's not like an arc going on like it's just kind of individual songs and stuff whereas like if you're watching somebody cooking something like it's a whole process of start to finish and oh, like you yeah, and you like want to stick around and you want to see that finished product that's a that's very a good, good point that's a good point yeah that's a great point I, I i've been doing a little bit of streaming too with extreme and also doing some programming stuff on twitch but yeah i kind of didn't really think about the fact that a lot of times with dance games it's like I'm going to play Memories now, and now I'm going to play Max 300, and now I'm going to play Bag. And, like, there's nothing really, like, like there's nothing joining those things together. Right. So maybe even coming up with, like, a, a theme for the next dance game thing I do was, seems like a good idea, and that's that's a really good point, Dalton. Yeah, like, Omid's been doing some of that, too. Um, he's been great about doing a ton of streaming. Go check out his Twitch channel, too. Uh, not that Leon needs any more competition, but, uh, you know, he, he was asking for like, oh, you know, I want to do a stream of just like playing through like one whole pack or like, you know, like a, a throwback kind of theme. So I, th I think those, you know, taking like different angles at trying to, um, you know, rather than just yeah. like, ah, oh, I'm just going to play some stuff. Having some kind of idea of what you're doing almost makes it better. Yeah, go figure. Yeah, absolutely. And that was actually, uh, Roger, you gave me that advice on when I'm sharing my In the Groove stream was like, if you're sharing what you're doing or what your goal is, people are more like tuned to watch. And yeah. immediately once I was like, oh, today I'm playing In the Groove Rebirth or today I'm going to be focusing on foot speed, you know, the people that appeals to will watch They're like, oh, well, I want to watch Rebirth. You know, I want to see like, I want to watch them play Dead Souls or something like that. Or the people that watch Footstream you know, so on and so forth. So it definitely is a great way. That's a great point. Dalton was like, if there's that end goal, then you're going to want to, you know, you're going to want to see it. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that sort of segues into my next question is like, is there anything that you've learned from either dance games that you can take into cooking? What, you know, whether it's you're streaming or not, or just in general, um, like things you've learned from dance games that apply to cooking or vice versa. Uh, yes, and it's not it's not a traditional thing. This is gonna it's gonna sound a little weird. Uh, not weird, but it's absolutely from dance games. It's the community that we interact with on Twitter. In on Twitter, there are hundreds and hundreds of different personalities, right? And so, obviously, like not everybody is the same. Not everybody comes from same backgrounds. Not everybody feels the same on like all these topics and you're able to see that on your phone as you're scrolling you know like like this person feels this way this person feels this way and you see that in the community right and so apply that to being a leader in a kitchen okay it's almost the same thing you see all these different people who have different mindsets on how to approach one topic um and this is very cool being specific because there's not there's not a um a dignified chef uh, but there's a, there's a kitchen manager. So anyway, there's a lot of people who do like they approach different things in different ways and there's no right or wrong. And when I look at the dance game community, I see like there's a lot of different people who like they see things differently. And that's the same way with cooking. It's like everybody's going to see things in different lights. And so I, I wouldn't say there's any discipline in dance games that transfers over to cooking um, off the top of my head. But knowing the differences in people helps me be a different helped me be a better leader in cooking um definitely do you think that like the pursuit of perfection 
in dance games, like, do you think that carries over to what oh, you're okay. doing? And, and that's actually, to answer uh, Dalton's question, what you just said um, actually brings me to a better answer. So um, dance games 100% made me competitive. Uh, and as a matter of fact, this is the better answer to what Dalton just asked versus what I just said. Um, so, um, when I was a kid, I think I started playing dance games when I was like 12, 11, 12, 2005. So 15 years ago, I'm yeah, like, like 11 years old. So, um, I had no competitive drive in me. I wasn't athletic. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really involved in extracurriculars, but I played dance games. Um, and I had a friend, Jonathan. And eventually, once I started getting to heavy and expert and, you know, getting better, he was the one who pushed me. And so every time I would do something I was proud of, he'd be like, all right, well, you can do better. And I'd be like, okay, well, whatever, like whatever. So really, the only reason I'm competitive is because of dance games. And, you know, growing up on Extreme and Supernova, you could you could get perf- like a perfect score on everything. And so that drive to be competitive and that drive to be perfect definitely translated into my academics and, like, what I want to be good at. So like cooking, for example, I'm going to put in all my effort and all like all my attention to something that I want to present. That's going to be under my name. And I feel like if I didn't, if I wasn't a part of dance games, I wouldn't have that competitive drive or that drive for perfection. So that's actually a great question. Cause that's, that's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a, especially with, you know, this scene, I think one of the things that I kind of learned from dance games was like this, sort of like exhibitionism type thing where like you really just kind of want to impress people by the thing that you're doing like i learned to get good scores on ddr so that other people would look at it and be like wow how did you do that and <laughs> that's so i, I kind of yeah it, it makes sense that you would want to that we would want to do that in every other area too like you know when you're trying to make food for people i'm sure you're the result that you want is like for them to kind of not know how you made it so good right right like i i want people i i want ideally i would want my influences to look at my food and be like how did you do that what did you do to get it to look like that and so that's what i think about when i put out products on social media and things like that um do do you think that there's kind of an element of them both being sort of like iterative processes like if you're trying to you know learn a new technique in dance games or you know a specific get a score on a specific song like you have to try it a bunch of times and then like with cooking like you have to try a bunch of different things with with with, with, i mean maybe this is a bit of a stretch but like no no you're right like grinding on fried chicken yeah no but i mean you have to like you know you're like oh no that you know that recipe didn't quite come out the way i wanted to you know i'm gonna try again i'm gonna try something different this time you know, take like taking like a little bit of a different approach. (laughs) Absolutely. 100%. Okay. If, cause like think about like in dance games, let's say you're bad at a a specific pattern or a specific song. You don't want to play it. Honestly, like you don't want to play it. Like, uh, for example, um, for me, I hate the sync of Tokyo evolved. Okay. I can't stand it. I can't stand the small BPM changes. I know the charts. I know the differences between one, two, and three, but I don't have plays on them on Ace. I don't. I don't don't think I do. The Um, song is just bad too. The song sucks. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot of factors. It's like, ugh, God, the song sucks. The sync sucks, right? And like, the chart's not all that bad. Um, all one, two, and three, but it's like there's very little incentive to play it. Okay. Um, 
and if you don't want to do it, you won't. But I like in cooking, it's the same thing. Like if I'm unfamiliar with an ingredient, you know, um, what's a good example? Um, God, I don't know. Like an, an ingredient that I haven't experimented with a lot myself. It, it, it honestly takes a little bit to be like, oh, all right, let me, let me sit down and get good at this technique. Or let me, let me actually learn how to do this. Um, and that all builds that confidence. And I think both of those, that's a great question because they, they're very tandem. Like in a tournament, a lot of your nerves and a lot of your anxiety comes from not being sure of what you're going to get in the car draw and not being prepared um, physically for yourself or all that kind of stuff. But if, if you know every chart um, and you're practicing every chart, you feel good physically, those nerves go away. And it's the same in cooking where if you feel comfortable with techniques, if you feel comfortable with ingredients, that when those are placed in front of you, it's not a matter of, can I do this? It's a matter of how can I do this? That's great. That's an awesome point, yeah. Um, you, you had mentioned uh, briefly academics. So you actually, you got your like neuropsychology degree or what? Yeah, so I got a, a bachelor's in neuroscience at Florida State University. Wow. So how did you kind of go from that to cooking or was were those kind of in parallel or, or it's, it's of... funny. It's funny because like I'll be at, like when I started Cool Beans, I'm like, like, oh, like, what are you going to Florida State for? I'm like, oh, neuroscience. It's like, well, why, the, why are you in a kitchen? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So basically, um, when I graduated high school or when I was become, about to graduate high school, everybody had known what they wanted to do. Like, oh, I want to be a doctor. I want to go to medical school. I want to be an engineer, you know, yada, yada, yada. I want to play dance games. And I'm like, me, it's like, I want to play dance games. And like, I worked at Waffle House at the time. Excuse me. And so like Waffle House, um, Waffle House was fun to me. It was my job in high school, but putting plates together as fast as possible and being clean and meticulous and doing the prep, all that was fun to me. So at the end of high school, I was like, well, the only thing that I really love that I think I can see myself having a future in um, was cooking. And I had a couple of full ride scholarships for saxophone to Troy, Southern Mississippi and Stetson. I didn't have a full ride at Stetson, but I had an offer there. Um, but competitive music was not fun to me. So anyway, um, I was like, cooking, cooking is fun to me. So after I graduated high school, I went to culinary school um, it was at a state college that we had in Panama City. Graduated um, with my degree, my associates in arts, so I could transfer to a, a four-year university and my associates and science in culinary management. So my dad in 2014 had a brain aneurysm. So this was during my time in school. And we spent about two weeks at Shands, which is a neuroscience hospital in Gainesville. Um, we spent two weeks in the neurological ICU with him. And he's fine now. He's had a, like, a complete recovery. He's 100% fine. Um, just got short-term memory. So I spent so long in this ICU with these nurses and these doctors. I was like, it, it was really intriguing to me, you know, that he could almost go from like, we're going to have to pronounce him dead to a full recovery. So... At the time, I was like, well, I'm not sure I want to work every weekend. I'm not sure I want to work every holiday. Like, I want to have time for myself. I want to, like, you know, have a family at some point. And so I decided to pursue my bachelor's in neuroscience. And so I came to Tallahassee, Florida State University, um, and did my two years here, finished out my neuroscience degree, 
and I actually really, really enjoyed it. I had a chance to do an honors thesis. I was a part of a um, cognitive and effective neuroscience lab. And I mean, I had a great, a lot of great opportunities, but nothing got me as excited um, as cooking did. Like every morning I was waking up and I, I was looking at these chefs, I was reading these books and it was like, I want to be great. Like they are, I want to, to give to their communities. Like, like I, I want to be what they're doing. You know, neuroscience, it didn't get me as excited as cooking did because I saw a different level of happiness when people cooked for others. And, and it was just, it was a different level. It was a, a different feeling. So literally the day after I graduated from Florida state university, it was the day I realized I wanted to just completely go into being a chef. Damn. Wow. Yeah, that that's quite a pivot. But yeah. I mean, that, that's awesome that you still got that experience in, in college and stuff, and that you, you know, I mean, that that's a crazy degree, man. Like, <laughs> did you did you learn anything about how taste works in the brain that you could use to manipulate people's uh, that experiences was, of food? That was the one thing I sat and talked with my um, advisor about. I was like, "Look, I want to I want to be a chef, but I really enjoy neuroscience and research. Where how can I bridge these two? And we and we talked about it. And I remember we had a really long meeting because it was at the point where I was discussing my future. And she mentioned a couple, um, a couple doctors, and basically she was like, "You need to go to graduate school. Long term, like like long story short, you need to go to graduate school." And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna source through a whole bunch of professors who are doing taste research. And so what you can do is you know express your story to them, do like taste research, and like it'll help. It, you can still be a chef and have that creative part of it, but still you know get your PhD. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then I just didn't do it. Like, I was just like, I just want to cook. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, um, for neuroscience PhDs, it's close to about eight years. So yeah, I was ouch. like, yeah, I was just like, to me, I'd much rather be cooking. That's awesome. Um, so going back to sort of dance games here, um, you had mentioned earlier that you started playing pretty young. Like, I, I think we're, we're kind of similar in that vein, like, I, I think I also started when I was, like, 10 or 11. Um, and I, I think we we're both on the, like, younger end of the, you know, our, our respective communities. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Roger. <laughs> oh, it's fine. <laughs> you know. For me, it was 15 or so. And I, I think that, yeah, it's, like, definitely a different vibe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, like, did, do you think that, like, was there anything about that experience of, being a little bit younger that that like motivated you to be better or you know were there any like like it, difficulties yeah there it was it was really funny being young and in this community back then because uh like ddr freak was big and like what roger alluded to earlier how you want to share scores where people are like how did you do that when you're young in your head you think that your scores are more impressive you know, you're like, I did this at, you know, 13 years old when I triple A Xenon at 14, you know, it's like, no one can, not, like, oh, who cares? Like, no one cares. But in your head, you're like, oh, I really like, I think that's impressive. So I remember sharing all my scores on DDR Freak, um, Ohio DDR, um, gosh, AIJ and everything. And um, it definitely introduced me to internet culture very young. I mean, it, 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 it puts some hair on my chest because you know, you you, you you see some rude things on the internet now, but like back then, you know, I was like, oh god. So 
Was, yeah, pe- yeah, people were not nice on Ohio DDR. <laughs> oh God, they were they were brutal. They Especially were brutal. It, it was it was more anonymous at the time too. I think that like everybody just had screen names, whereas like now it's like, oh, this is my Facebook page. That's like... oh yeah, yeah. Like you had no idea who you're talking to. Like still to this day, um, I remember there was someone I talked to on AIM. His name was Regulator. Roger, you might know who he is. Yeah. I think his name is Richie. Um, I've never seen him on Facebook. I've never talked to him since like 2000. I haven't talked to him since like 2008 and it's like, but I know him as regulator anyway. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Uh, I mean, it was good being young and in the community because it, I think it matured me. Um, I had a group of friends in Panama city who really took me under their wing um, in terms of like putting me around the right influences. Like, you know, they were in high school. I was like really a fifth grader and they made sure that you know they didn't put me around any kind of drugs alcohol any sort of bad influences you know if if there was any topic about sex they made sure like that i wasn't even around when they were talking about it so i had a really great group of influences um at my at panama city mall when i was playing dance games that was same for you roger right uh (laughs) not really um (laughs) no me either me either um, cause he, I mean, I got into dance games because my older brother, he's, he's only three years older than me, but like when you're younger, three years is a pretty big gap. And so yeah. like that he had friends that were a couple of years older than him. So like I was hanging out with people, like I was like 14 hanging out with like 21 year olds. Right. Um, which, you know, we'd go to tournaments and, and, you know, had had lots of good times. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, good I good memories. Like, I think that's one of the best parts about the dance game scene is that that can actually happen. Um, you know, I think in a lot of in just kind of normal life where you don't get exposure to a lots of a lot of different kinds of people and a lot of different ages, then you know, having like just having that is it can really advance your. Yeah, your maturity and your awareness of the world and all kinds of good stuff like that. I absolutely agree. And I think, like, especially with, you know, the seedier aspects of, you know, the internet culture back then, I think that getting exposed to that kind of stuff at a young age is better. It's like you kind of get inoculated against it and, (laughs) like, you kind of, like, get the edgelord phase out of of the way, (laughs) like, early. And then, so that by the time you're an adult, you're like an actual normal person. Eh, no, normal is normal. Is, yeah. Okay, maybe not normal, but like you're like, you're, yeah, yeah, fairly well adjusted, right? Yeah. Um, so like, when when did you like meet Hudson? Because like you you guys kind of have a oh, have oh. have sort of a, a rivalry. <laughs> oh God, Hudson! Actually, I I'll tell you when I met Hudson. Okay. No, 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 because the way I met Hudson actually aged very well, right? And, okay, so it was, it was Storm two, it was uh, Storm X on the DL, we were Daytona Lagoon, it was 2007, and I remember at the time I was 13 or 14, I was in the 6th grade, and I, what I wanted to do, I wanted to get into lower tech, and so the qualifier was Mind Parasite, uh, which was a 6 at the time, um, and Moon. So I sandbagged both the qualifiers and my friend looked at me. He's like, dude, 
what are you doing? Like, how did you perform so bad? And I was like, I don't know, man, it's not feeling it. But really, I wanted to get into lower tech so I could just win lower tech because lower tech got this big ass trophy. So I was like, oh, God, I want that trophy. If I can get first seed in lower tech, I can definitely win. Okay, well, I got 32nd seed in higher tech. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Just... So so you had to play Hudson first round? <laughs> so the first seed was Hudson, okay? And Hudson beat me. Um, and I remember he came to me after. It was, my very, it was my first DDR tournament, honestly, like my first major DDR tournament. He came to me afterwards. He's like, hey, man, like, how old are you? And I told him my age. And he was like, yeah, like, like you'll be pretty good one day. I, I think you should just keep at it. And I was like, yeah, I appreciate that. And so, like, my first tournament match was against Hudson, and I think he ended up winning Supernova and got second and in the groove. And for I remember vividly, I was like, I want to beat him. Like, like, like there, I, I <laughs> don't want to lose to him again. Like, I, I want to beat him. And so, from that point, um, the Northwest Florida community was pretty active um, towards the later end of 2010, 2011, 2012, uh, whereas. Um, like central Florida and Jacksonville and South Florida, they were, they were active cause storm was still happening, but they weren't as competitive as Northwest Florida. So Northwest Florida completely was like, you know, we were running tournaments every single month. We, we, we had a whole ELO system. Like it was crazy. Um, yeah. and so, so, and from that yeah, point, I mean, Hudson and I were rivals. Yeah. Cause you were, you were like 15. So he must've been like 35. <laughs> 45. Uh, but I mean, so you you guys have like a friendly rivalry now. So like, you'll kind of be like shit talking on on Facebook and Twitter about dance games or even like Mario Party. Um, oh, we shit talk anything. I think. Oh man, dude. Like, yeah, our, our friendship is just a rivalry. I'm not even sure if the friendship exists. <laughs> um, I'll share a quick story. Um, I, I'll share two quick stories actually. Um, one was that we had a meal in japan together and i was like yo that was so good he was like yeah i guarantee you i enjoyed that more than you did i'm like hudson <laughs> dude like <laughs> what <laughs> like, what so um we all remember the casey qualifying period i had four days to qualify um because i don't have access to ace i had to drive up to atlanta and i had to basically i played on data and i i practiced i practiced i practiced i practiced and i made sure when i got to atlanta that I had all the charts for KC known and I could just go in and get my scores and leave. So that's exactly what I did. I got my scores. I think I ended up placing uh seventh worldwide and fifth in the U S. So it was really nice. So Hudson, that's crazy. Hudson, the fucking, the, the, okay. Hudson, the nights before KC qualifiers ends. I remember I went to sleep. I went to bed that night. Okay. Went to bed and I woke up and my messenger was like, 30 deep. And I'm like, Oh my God. All right. So I scroll up. And the first thing I say, uh, first thing I see is by Leon. And I'm like, there's no way there's absolutely no way he shaved off 130 points. There's no way it's absolutely impossible. There's no way he's ranked ahead of me. And I kept scrolling and he beats almost literally every single one of my scores in one night. And I'm like, dude, I, uh, I, I was so salty. I was so salty. But I mean that's still a good. You did really well this year. Like you, you were working really hard. Like how did you, um, like because the machine was so far away from you. I mean you said you like practiced and stuff. Was there anything else like that you like how you approached sessions, um, like 
you know, when you knew you would have to be there like all day and that you only had like so much time, you know, how did you like plan or, you know, have a game plan going into those sessions? That was actually probably one of the most intense periods of dance games I've ever had in my life because I did have a game plan. Everything was meticulously thought out right and so um basically we had four days i remember i requested off of work from the 31st until january 2nd or 3rd i, I forget so i had four days to qualify for kc and i i remember distinctly i i brought ibuprofen i brought fish oil i brought protein bars i brought uh salted cashews tons of water protein shakes um biofreeze and tiger bomb and i was I, I mean i was prepared because like i was going to be doing nothing but playing 18s all day on ddr pads and so i came there with the game plan was like okay these are the charts that i'm best at let's get these out the way first and then i'll spend the last half of the time grinding out you know whatever and so the 31st we weren't even supposed to play this is such this is my literally my favorite story so the 31st we weren't even supposed to play and so we went to round one and i was like all right let me just let me just shake off the rust and i played uh blew my mind and i got it just for my standard was a horrible score and i was like yes this this is gonna suck like there's no way i'm gonna get anything any good scores um two hours later i got 28 pfc on blew my mind csb ridiculous and i was like yo this is this is it like yo, this is crazy so it was a lot of fun for me qualifying for kc because i was physically ready i had known the charts um and i did two sessions a day so i would go in the morning from about 11 to 4 i would go home shower ice up and come back that night and i'd play from like 8 to about 10 or maybe 8 to 11. Um, so I, I eat a ton, you know, my sessions are very long. And so the first couple of days were a lot of fun. I was knocking out, you know, 18 PFCs and I was like, Oh, blew my mind trip machine, ace for aces. I was getting good scores on the 17s. It was a lot of fun. And then it got to the last couple of days. And this is where it no longer got fun is that because I only had two more days to qualify that now there was a pressure on me. And so it was like, I have to get this score because I have, I want to get this ranking. And so it was no, at the last two days, it became stressful. It was no longer like, yo, we're ripping. It was like, okay, it doesn't matter what we're getting. We're not getting, you know, we're not getting the ranking we need. And so the, the first couple of days were a lot of fun. The last couple of days were just completely stressful. I took it out. And so, um, I remember the last, the issues we were having were with 888CSP and I forget the other one, but 888CSP was my, like, Achilles heel. And so at the end of the day, I, we couldn't get a good score on it. And I told guy, I told everybody, I was like, look, I'm going to go home. We're going to drive back to Atlanta. Or we're going to drive back to Tallahassee, five hours. I'm going to drive back to Tallahassee. I'm going to work my Saturday shift. And then we're going to drive right back up to Atlanta. And then Sunday, we're going to, we're going to, you know, uh, get the scores that we need. So I drove home five hours um, after that session. I worked a 10-hour shift, and then I drove back up to Atlanta five hours so that I could shave off 30 EX on my KC qualifying scores. Wow, that is dedication. That's definitely, like, more, like, effort and dedication than I've kind of ever put into anything. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> That's wild, man. That's just like, I want to say that's inspirational, but for me, that's like 
demotivating because I'm just like, wow, I would never do that. <laughs> well, it's like it's clear that that's exactly what you have to do to get results because the results speak for themselves. Yeah, totally. That was that's, a it was a crazy time. Now that you've kind of been stuck at home for a while, you've been playing more ITG, right? Right, 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 right. So I guess and you you were playing pump for like a little bit, too, right? Uh, yeah, I would. I traveled every Sunday uh, two hours to play pump for about two months. Oh wow! So, so I guess like since you are sort of familiar with you know each game, and Roger, you've been playing some pump lately too, and more ITG. Yeah. I guess we can kind of all talk about what what we like best about each game because I think they all bring something different, like DDR, ITG, and pump. Oh, absolutely. So for me, um, if if I had a choice. I, I would main pump it up. And the reason I say this, um, I really enjoy the music. If you look at the backgrounds for pump it up, they're all unique to the songs. Um, and even with BGA darkest, you can still, the person can still see them. Uh, the player, you know, you really don't mind them. I really enjoy the charts. I really enjoy that. There's no set difficulties. Like there's 11, like one shark can have an 11, a 15, a 16, a 17, a 21 and a 25. So one shark can have multiple difficulties. So um, there's shortcuts, there's long versions, there's um, doubles is free. I, I really, really enjoy pump. And I think one thing about the, the, the biggest issue I have with pump um, is obviously the scoring, right? But here's the thing. Scoring literally only matters during tournaments. When you're playing pump casually, you don't look at money score. Right, so like if you're playing pump and you play, let's use um, Bedlam for example. You don't look at Bedlam S21 and you're like, oh gosh, I really wanted the four million eight hundred thousand and seven hundred nine. Like no, you don't look, you don't, you don't say that. What you look at is you look at the miscount, and so you're like, okay, ah, I got five misses. I think I could probably pull that down. I could probably get the S right. And so then you go to zero misses, and then you look at your bads, and you're like, I could probably clean up that that uh, crossover section and not get any bads. And then you get the double S, right? And so at that point, you can just improve on the misses, the bads, and then the goods, so forth. So I don't like when people say, oh, pump you know, pump timing or uh, the, the pump scoring system sucks. Yes, it does suck for competitive play because, you know, for obvious reasons. But don't let that be a reason that you don't play pump casually. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Like, I... I think I have the most fun playing pump out of, and like, I don't even play that often, but like, I just always have so much fun playing pump. It's just, it is fun. And I think it's because I do play it a little bit more casually that like, I don't have that expectation of getting like good scores. And so like, if I do get a full combo even, or like, if I do happen to get a double S or something, I'm like, whoa, that was awesome. But yeah, but, but like, I'm you know, just kind of randomly playing stuff. So I don't get, you know, because I'm not as familiar with it. Like I don't get upset when I don't do super well. Exactly. Um, so like, I, I think people should play pump more often, like totally. Um, what's, what's your experience been Roger? So I, I kind of try to play pump it up whenever I'm warming up these days. Like, I, I'm very lucky to have multiple dance games uh, accessible to me, and so I, I play Pump It Up to warm up, and I think it's like kind of the perfect warm up for the uh, you know the main other two games I play is uh, Extreme Pro and ITG, and 
I really like playing Pump It Up specifically to warm up because I'm not super concerned about timing, but I always play double, and I try to play something that I kind of can't do perfectly. And because it's a game that I'm not super familiar with anyway, like, and I'm trying to play like stuff on double, there's like always, I'm always like kind of put in the mode where like I'm trying really hard, but I'm also not trying to get a perfect score. Right. And the, and also being double on Pump It Up, being the main game for Pump, really helps for, you know, just stretching your muscles and, thinking about how to move i think it just like makes you move so much more so much more intricately than the other games do that it's like it's a it's a huge benefit to just even have a little bit of exposure to it but i, I agree i i 100 agree um and i think one of the big things is that i mean we all grew up on ddr so timing is like the is is what feels best for us. You know, we, I, I feel best when I get a PFC on a harder song, harder difficulty song. Um, but it really feels nice to be able to go to a different game and kind of get that stress away from having one error. You know, it's like in DDR, the game, the, the name of the game is lamps. You know, I want, I want to get, I want to get a lamp on a 17 or whatever, but like, and that's like, you get one error and you don't get that lamp. So it's a lot of it. It could be a lot of stress, you know. Um, whereas yeah. pump, it's there's a you know if you're playing pump as a four panel player, you can have a lot more fun, in my opinion. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. That's that's totally what I I enjoy about it too. It yeah, it's just like less stressful and and it, it like sometimes like doing certain patterns and things. I'm just like, whoa, like, how did I even do that sort of thing? Like, my, my legs will just, like, do something, and I'm like, my brain didn't tell them to do that. They just did that. Um, but, yeah, and I, I've kind of – I don't play ITG much these days either just because of access. Like, I can – I pretty much just play either, like, at Omid's house or, you know, well, yeah. not these days, but, you know, uh, two months right. ago. Um, but – I I love sight reading stuff in ITG, and I, I've probably talked about this before, but like if I could just sight read everything, I would, <laughs> because <laughs> it it like it removes that like level of expectation, where you're at least to some point where you're just kind of like, well, I'm seeing this for the first time anyway, so like whatever score I get is good, and if I happen yeah. to get a full combo or whatever, it's like, oh, if I messed up one part, then like I can't really be too mad at it. Exactly. Um, so I like I just I think now like I as you know I don't take the game as seriously as I used to that I think just those moments of like fun and then like also moments of surprise like that um of just like whoa I just played that like a sight read that 13 and got a 99 on it or whatever you know it, it feels good yeah you're like oh ah 10 excellence on a 13 on the sight read huh yeah I I feel I I get what you're saying yeah and I um, think it seems like the ITG scene is like kind of almost addicted to that feeling and it kind of like it seems like it's directed the development of charts and things like that where like I feel like a lot of charts are kind of a lot of steps are designed so that it's like possible to sight read a lot of stuff where yes. you know, you'll have like the mind signaling for foot switches Absolutely. and things like that where like people expect to be able to sight read everything so 
when people are writing steps, they they do it like with that intention. So what what you just said is actually um, now I'll preface this by saying um, I absolutely love the in the groove community. I love the charts. I love the fact that we have an open source dance game that we can actually argue or discuss you know, what we should or should not be pushing in terms of chart difficulty and things like that. Like, I am very thankful for that opportunity. I'm very thankful for everything that Kyle does for the community, the ECFA events, the uh, the Rumble in the Prairie events. Like, I love the community. Um, but exactly what you just said, Roger, um, is actually one of my biggest gripes with the In the Groove charting communities these days. So, like... Yeah, I, I wasn't going to go in... I, I wasn't, like gonna let myself go into rant mode but i i kind of feel the same oh way. gosh i'm well i'm here okay so like you know and it's like it's something i've been thinking about often is is um the raj pack for example i absolutely love the raj pack the t the 11s in the raj pack are so great okay even the the middle the beginning the ends they're all great um but if you look through the raj pack there aren't there's a couple no cma charts and there are a couple charts that would benefit from having C mods on, um, but all that comes from what the tournament organizer believes that it's testing. So uh, I'll use this for example. Uh, it's a very controversial example, uh, but Rumble in the Prairie 12 had Neutrino no C mod. Okay, so Neutrino on in the groove goes from 150 beats per minute to 205 beats per minute. You, uh, us four panel players. You know, we know that it goes up to 300 in DDR, so we can only use, you know, what, 2x or, or whatever. We like you can use a higher speed mod if you have that one part memorized. Okay, so um, there were a lot of complaints throughout the community that it's like, why is this no C mod? Like, why why can't we use a C mod on this? And it's like, I mean, you're reading 150 beats per minute to 205. So really, once you use a speed mod, it's really 100, like a 200 beats per minute difference. And uh, a lot of the response to that was like, well, we're test at, at that point, we're testing who can read better, um, who can read a better, like who can read slower. And I'm like, I feel like that's a skill set. I feel like, I feel like learning charts at a slower BPM is a skill set. And and there, to me, my only gripe with the in the groove community is that, is that there's no, there's a few amounts of no C mod charts. I have recently told myself I'm going to play only on M mods. I'm going to play on um, Fantastic Plus, and I, I want to have the slowdowns just punch me in the face, you know, so that way I can yeah. go back and learn them. I, I just, I, I think I, it's cool. It's, it's like a double-edged sword thing where I think because the possibilities are endless on ITG. Like the community has invented ways to constrain the possibilities so that it doesn't become like absolutely overwhelming to everybody, um, and I think that's like what that's what's happening with like that kind of stuff, and it makes sense to me. It's just like I, I kind of agree with you where it's like yeah, it, it would be nice to play a song and there not be minds there telling me whether to do a a turn or a foot switch. And like I just have to like actually like know Learn or it. Yeah. I have to or I have to like see it and like put it together in my head like myself and like not have someone like handhold me through it. I agree. Um yeah. and but I think it's like th those are like pretty minor gripes when it comes to the fact that like everyone is putting so much effort into giving people stuff to play basically for right. free. 
Right. So. Yeah, and and I I think part of it too is sort of the the, the like stratification of the community that there's like like people who gravitate towards stamina like went towards stamina people who gravitate towards foot speed went foot speed and then there's like people who you know are more interested in like tech and fa stuff do that and then but then there's also like the crazy mods community and i think i think that that's kind of like where like tech just became like about execution and not about like reading even like minor slowdowns or anything and then right. all, all of that just kind of went to like the it you know e- each sort of stratification took its own thing to the extreme and like yeah. kind of for the most part gets rid of everything else i mean even like in tech there's still like 13s and stuff and you still have to do some foot speed i guess but um yeah it just kind of took everything in like total different directions which is like super i like i love that about the community that there's whatever thing that you like you can do because like there are people that are making that content there are people that are making stamina charts and and foot speed and tech and mods like that there's just something for everyone like that's i think what i appreciate the most about like the current state of the itg community is like there's you know you're you're spoiled for choice right and and that's a good point that you bring up with like how with each community going their, you know, not different direction, but, you know, focusing on that one skill set, they decided what was and what's not important. And so, like, while I might have complaints about not having, like, having more CMOD charts, ultimately, it's like, okay, well, you're competing in tech and FA. We're testing tech and FA. We're not testing, you know, if like, you know the slowdowns and all and that. And being able to read and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and and... It, I think one of the issues for me personally is, is coming to that realization, you know, cause to me, what's, what's fun to me is like sitting down and learning the speed ups, you know, like the slowdowns, things like that. I really enjoy that in charts, but what exactly what you just said kind of makes me, you know, kind of bring it down and realize that like, okay, well, it, it, the community is testing your skill set at timing and your skill set at speed. And so that's why Neutrino should be, you know, C modded. So I, I get it. I get I get both sides. Um, but me personally, I would like to see more um, no C mod charts. I yeah. kind of wish that there was like a like a an alternate segment of this kind of thing. Like you mentioned that there's like the FA offshoot and there's like the foot speed offshoot. I wish there was like an offshoot for basically ddr style stuff except on On itg ITG. (laughs) i love that i love that yeah we should we should have an itg tournament that is just ddr officials (laughs) oh that's that's true though because like think about i i was actually watching osaka evolve type 2 okay you're not gonna see a chart like osaka evolve type 2 in in the groove but like i think that's that's a beautiful chart i think that's like that would be a great chart to put into uh, dance games today or, or in the groove today. But it's like with the tech community, um, with I'm sorry, with competitive tech, that's not exactly what they're testing. Now they are, now I, I hate to say it like this because like generalizing uh, disrespects a lot of the um, step partners who actually do those kind of things. 
for example, Valix, Chief Skittles, and uh, Devogan. They write great charts, um, and they actually take advantage of those gimmicks and things like that. I just, I just, it sucks that there's that disconnect where they can put in these gimmicks and they can put in all these, you know, um, skips and all that just for it to get C modded in a tournament. It's just sad for me. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of artistry that goes into to writing charts like that, and like even. Like, I've tried to write a few, like, sort of modern tech charts, and I never even, like, release them be just because I'm just like, oh, this is not up to the standards of what, like, you know, Derek is doing, for example, um, Devogan. Um, ha have you tried to write any charts, Leon? <laughs> oh, God, I've never. Well, okay. The only time I've written charts were on, like, a uh, home version. You know, you could do it on the controller and put it on autoplay and just yeah yeah it's just yeah that's the only time i've written charts but no chart writing is not i don't think chart writing is for me i you know and the reason i say that is because i see what goes into chart writing and i've seen a discussion behind how a chart and chart is written and i'm just like wow i would not even think about that that's a you know but you bring that up that's a good idea because a lot of people don't know um chart writing etiquette for example like Technical Showcase 4 has just came out. It's a great in the groove event. Um, but for example, a lot of people may not know never to start a chart on an up arrow or never to start a chart on a jump. You know, in their head, it's like, oh, I want to put an accent here or that's the arrow I want to start with. Um, but chart writing etiquette and chart writing rhetoric is not a thing that people like inherently know, especially mm. someone who's just starting out. So, Yeah, I mean, I, I would even hesitate to s say like, never never start a chart on a down or up arrow but like because i you know i don't like to i don't want to tell people like what they should or should not do right, um, right, right like but i this actually came up on twitter that somebody had posted their their chart and it was like a uh left right jump into a pattern that started on like an up or a down which so like i i sort of pointed out i was like it's like hey like you know by like current itg standards like that sort of thing is usually avoided like you know because it is kind of ambiguous like it's not it's not right or wrong it's just like that's kind of the state of things right now and like that's kind of the direction that chart rhetoric has gone um i don't know if it's always like 100 percent necessary to like you know push people in that way like i want people to experiment with things and like right. try try new stuff um and you know just write charts for themselves too like i think yeah. a, a lot of people like write i mean hudson is a perfect example he writes charts for himself <laughs> um <laughs> yes he does and like they're uh, i i was talking to him the other day i was like i was like man when i see your charts like i i look at them i'm like that looks really fun if i could do that <laughs> right like it, it it motivates me to want to get better so i could do something like that because i'm like man that that's how i feel about pump too actually going back to or it. even but, understand it yeah true that that I, i'll like look at stuff and i'm like man that looks really fun if i could do that <laughs> uh, um but yeah i mean you, you'd kind of mentioned earlier about like how you like studying charts and and i think that's kind of um what I think a lot of people enjoy about DDR is the the sort of like the fact that there is no one way to do 
everything. Like, even if you look at how Chris does a lot of, you know, he comes up with all these crazy ways of of doing certain patterns. and and, Yeah. And, Ah. And that, you know, there's just like, because the charts are like, not always written, you know, they don't flow completely correctly, air quotes, um, that, you know, uh, that turns a lot of people off. And, like, it is annoying sometimes. Like, oh, I haven't played Engraved Mark in, like, a year. And it's like, oh, wait, I remember that there's, like, some weird ambiguous... It's like, oh, or uh, what's the other one? Triple Triple Journey Expert has one, too. That's, like, yeah, a, 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 left-right, a left-right jump into, like, a down-up-right or something that I always mess up. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I get it. It's kind of annoying sometimes. But, I, you know, I think that sitting down and, and like remembering that stuff it's it's a little bit more of like a mental game um of and like putting in the work to like study things Absolutely. yeah I've, I've always liked the aspect of it where you know you have some like some like obviously konami this like completely opaque organization just giving you something and you have to figure out how to do it and like there's like there's no instructions from them really like about like how to make how to make it happen. They're just like, "Ah, let's just see if you can get a perfect score on this or whatever." <laughs> we 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 don't think you we don't really think you can, but like let's let's see if you can. <laughs> and luck. but they they kind of make it so that it's like probably possible, but you don't know. Um whereas like I think a lot of times with like modern ITG tech, it's like people make a lot of these like 13s knowing that it's like it's it's possible for someone to quad that if it's a 13. It's possible for someone to quad that if it's like a 14 or whatever. But like, do you how how hard do you have to go? Like, how deep do you have to go to figure out how to do it versus like just like hauling and like making it happen? Right? Yeah, I mean, and you know, that's kind of kind of why I wanted to like bring up this topic of like sort of comparing what we like about each different game because like i think they they all bring something different and good and fun to the table that like is enjoyable for different segments of the community and even for like individual players that like there are things that i enjoy about one game versus the other versus the other um but yeah that's just why like i think they they're all enjoyable in kind of their own ways Um, i love fa plus the ecfa like timing on itg it's just so nice to have like a dance game that has even more ridiculous timing than ddr it just like if it just feels so good to to get (laughs) like the perfect scores your Uh, scores on fa plus no 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 no. roger the you roger you don't uh, roger okay no i because every time you post scores i'll look and i'm like yeah like like, I just it, it it is so shocking to me because for me a general rule of thumb is like ten percent whites to um, blue fantastics yeah. is pretty good you know. And well, I mean like, that's what I'm getting a lot of times, and I just don't post those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like uh, you posted, uh, I, and I haven't seen the song. Uh, I think it was Love Shining the ten, and it was like you got eleven on it. I'm like God, like yeah, I ca- I kind of <laughs> wish they would they would build a, build a calculation into the theme that shows like percentage of of the white, white the white count the white to blue yeah it's just so could, fun though you could be like, like oh 2.3 percent whites or you know whatever I, I i appreciate that leon it, it, from 
coming from a good player, it means a lot. <laughs> and like, ridiculous. And it, I'm like getting addicted to it. Where I'm like, how how can I like pull this off on like twelves now? Like, is that possible? Oh. And I think it might be, but it's like that's a, another example of like ITG kind of taking the timing just into the maximum like level where it's like yeah we're just gonna slice the window in half and see if you can do that good luck <laughs> yeah and and that's and uh and i could talk about this topic all day but like um again like i say i love in the group because it's got all those things but um fa plus i think is it's a great direction the community's going um and, and it's not going to be going competitively i i doubt it um but I I tried to describe, and I'm not sure how true this is. You guys can can kind of like maybe pull me back on this or not. Um, but for DDR, for example, um, the bell curve of the upper echelon of players is like pretty much in the middle, and and like where you'll have Chris on the very end, for example, um, and Matt Magden, ITG Alex, Kevin Bodie, Paul, you know, right there. Um, but within the groove, I feel like that bell curve is skewed more towards the right where like the top 16 players are all really really close in skill like really close interesting yeah so like for example and i can list off top of my head um kyle itg alex rinker crystal uh chrono sappy robert oaken um gosh let me keep going leon Uh, uh, let's say leon (laughs) omid kaya um Gosh, uh, Steven's really good. Steven, nine volts, and Vincent. That's just the thirteen players right there. Okay, you give them all, um, let's say debug dance, or you give them all a higher level twelve or whatever. I feel like the mean average of scores is going to be within maybe three to five excellence, assuming all players know the song. Um, I feel like for those thirteen players, they're all going to get very similar scores. Okay, I, I feel like I, I I'm I'm thinking about this in the context of the fact that I can't go to the arcade right now and I don't own a machine um, and I think all the people that you just named own a machine which I think is like the requirement for ITG but I so I think that that may be kind of the reason why that the it that it skews so much higher to the right like the bell curve it's very be- true because like if you own a machine or a setup or whatever like you're gonna play a lot more and you're gonna like go farther to that side and then there's like not a lot of people that are like moderately good and don't own machines right um you know so i i think that the the sort of nature of itg and the fact that like basically at this point you have to own a machine or know somebody who does in order to like play regularly yeah kind of like i think that that's the reason for this the skew um you don't have so like as many like of the casual players and like mid-tier players that you see at, at, at the arcade that you know may play like once or twice a week or whatever it's very true very very true yeah um have we have we talked enough about dance games you think <laughs> do um i omid omid well one omid wanted to know why you didn't um cook any persian food yet oh my gosh she thinks i haven't cooked persian food so here's the thing so I actually have, um, but a lot of, I'll, I'll tell you, I cook, like, I only take pictures of about 25% of what I cook. A lot of times it's just because, like, food photography, there's a lot that goes into food photography and putting a picture that I'm very proud of behind it. Um, 
so a lot of times I'll cook something um, and and it'll be I just won't take a picture of it. So I think one oh god, what was the person? That's like dance games. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh, there was he sent me one recipe and I made it and it was so good. Uh I'll have to check it. I just hadn't posted a picture of it. So I I'll have to I'll have to get back and check my log on that. Yeah. Um but but who are who are like your, your chef inspirations? Oh my gosh. Okay, so number one, first and foremost, is Sean Brock. Um Sean Brock his uh, I'll start by saying there was a chef at Firefly, my very first restaurant. He gave me a book called Heritage. It was a book is Sean Brock's first book. Um, I opened the book. I didn't know jack shit in that book. I didn't know anything in that book. So like I'm looking through all the pages. I don't know what half the ingredients are. I didn't know what anything was. I was like, but this book looks so cool. Like the pictures and the photography are so amazing. And the chef wrote in the book. He was like, this chef inspires me with his work ethic and his food. I think you'll enjoy it. And so I took that book and I held on to it. And as I started to learn more and more about food, I started to reference that book and it started, everything started to make sense. Everything started to like come together. And so Sean Brock, I think is a great example of a, a nice, a great Southern chef who utilizes heirloom ingredients to make amazing Southern food. And he believes that so like a lot of people think Southern food is like, a lot of fats, you know, bacon fat, butter, you know, cream. You know, they, they think it's really fatty, but his philosophy is that Southern food goes more into, you know, the, the grains that we were giving and utilizing the produce that we have in, in traditional recipes like Hop and John, um, shrimp and grits, things like that. So Sean Brock, first and foremost, um, he is a huge inspiration for me. I, I, I read his books. I, I source his farms. Like uh, the, the, the things that he uses, I use. Uh, he is a huge inspiration. Um, gosh, who else? That Sean... makes sense. I think like there's all sorts of differences between produce that happen, especially in the South. Like I know that, like the, uh, the low protein flour is popular for making biscuits and things. And yeah. one of the reasons is because the wheat that's grown in the south due to the climate and the soil just naturally produces lower protein so people had to figure out something to do with it and one of those things is making biscuits instead of bread wow i i do not know any interesting facts about food <laughs> but who are who are some of your other inspirations um sean brock is great todd richards he is a chef here in georgia um his book soul is one of the most beautiful books i've ever seen in my life um, his recipes are amazing. One of the best cookbooks I ever owned. Um, a couple other inspirations. I'm thinking about by region. Um, see, oh, Eduardo Jordan. Um, Eduardo Jordan, he is a black chef in Seattle. He operates three restaurants, June Baby, uh, Salar, and Lucinda. Um, anyway, that was the restaurant I went to stage at when I went to Seattle. And it was the coolest thing in the world. Like this guy, I had seen him on TV in 2016. I had followed him on Instagram and I actually didn't get to meet him. It sucks. Cause I didn't get, you know, but, um, I got to work at June baby for a day and seeing how everything works, all the ferments they do, um, how the line executes. It was a, an incredible, incredible thing. It was a very small kitchen, but like they're producing some of the best food I've ever had in my life. Like I had some of the best collards I had had in my life in Seattle. And it's like, as a Southern guy, I shouldn't be tasting some of the best collars that I've ever had in my life in Seattle. Yeah. But the that's, guy, that's yeah, like, it's just it's like, I was like, oh, I had the best sushi I've ever had in Ohio. 
Yeah, it's like that's that doesn't make it's not supposed to be happening. But this guy, Eduardo Jordan, he's from Florida. Um, ended up going to University of Florida and went to Seattle, and he's doing Southern food in Seattle. And a lot of his inspiration is also from Sean Brock, and you can see it in the menu items that he has on there and where he sources. Um, you know, we, we source very similar things, Bene seeds. Um, he has a watermelon molasses on the menu and things like that. So like um, Eduardo Jordan, absolutely huge inspiration and in the way that he's been handling everything with COVID-19 has been great. Um, but those those three right now, um, and I get inspired over time, you know, seeing who's big. Um, there's one guy and I, I, oh God, I can't pronounce his name. I think it's Simon Davis. He was the um, executive chef at a restaurant called Alinea. Um, in Chicago, it's a three-star Michelin restaurant. The he was sorry, he was chef de cuisine. Executive chef is by um, Grant Ackett's, and it's like one of the most renowned uh, molecular gastronomy restaurants in the yeah, it, in the isn't world. It, isn't it kind of it's? Is that the one that they have like? It's kind of like a theater experience too, sort of. Is that yes? What I'm like yeah. it's like like the there, balloon is like you know yeah you can, yeah. There, there's like a lot of like it's like Cirque du Soleil. Well, I don't know about that, but like it's it's kind no, of no, like, you're right. It's it's like interesting and crazy and like kind of like weird. It's not like a normal like restaurant experience. Yeah, and you can eat the menu and things like that. It's like very very different. So he was the chef de cuisine. Um, he's doing his own, he he's, was there for like 10 years. He's doing his own stuff. And if you guys saw, I posted a video of like me making a chicken noodle soup. Uh, that was actually based off of his Instagram story. Like I saw him do it. I was like, damn, I think I could do that. And so I did it, but I did my own twist on it. Um, and oh, and he, then I, and he shared it, right? He shared it. He shared it. It was the coolest thing in the world to me. I was like, oh, oh, that's hey. awesome. All right. So did you, um, are, are there like any... I guess d- dishes that you like to eat but not cook or like dishes that you like to cook but not eat. Oh gosh. Dishes that I like to eat but not cook. Like is there like oh I really love this food but I just like hate cooking it. I would just like rather have somebody Ooh. else do it. Uh risotto, absolutely 100%. I would much rather eat risotto than cook risotto. Um I love risotto. I absolutely love everything about it. But if you've ever made risotto, you know it. you got to sit over a stove for a very long time, sit there and stir, add stock, stir, add stock, stir, add stock, taste, adjust seasoning, stir, add stock, stir, add stock, taste, adjust seasoning. And then you, and by the end of it, you don't even want to eat risotto. You know, it's like, all right, it's just someone else, someone else tastes this for me. I'm done. Um, so I think risotto, um, dishes that I love to cook but not eat, scallops. I I love scallops. I love to cook them. I I'm not a I'm not a big scallop fan though. Like I I've never tried a scallop before, but I like I've seen your pictures of them and I'm like, man, that makes me want to try a scallop. They're the best looking food to foot, like in my opinion to make you look like you know what you're doing. <laughs> um, it's been... funny cuz you haven't had scallops, but I think you and I have tried horse together. Yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> in japan we did yeah we tried raw horse which oh, which so is good. which is one of my my favorite uh stories to share from japan so good. that yeah that was wild so i remember we we had um Ginex yasu like reading he was like translating the menu for us and he was just like uh, you know because the place that we went to the izakaya that we went to after kc like it didn't have english menus like a lot of the other places that we went to did and so um uh, he, he was like translating it for us and he was just like he's like oh yeah like uh chicken beef uh horse 
uh, like p- <laughs> pork. And I was like, I was like, whoa, wait, what? I was like, go, go back there. Like go back one. And he's like, yeah, horse, raw horse meat. And I was like, uh, no, it's all right. But, and then I was like, when else am I going to get the chance to try this though? Like we can't get this in America. Exactly. So, it was um, really good. Yeah. It was, it was an experience. Um, what's like the wildest thing you've had, Roger? The wildest food I've ever had? Yeah. I mean, mean, you grew up in the South, so there's some interesting, like... I I think that I would say large, like, I would say seafood in Japan is probably the the wildest stuff I've ever had. And a lot of times, I think Brittany and I went to a few restaurants where it's like, they're relatively high-end, and due to not really understanding, not really being very good at the language... And the restaurant workers not being very good at English, uh, getting served something, not knowing what it is, and eating it anyway. I think that there's probably like five or ten of those that would probably top that list. But I can't describe what they were since I don't know what they were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that certainly like expanded my palate a little bit was even just like going to Japan because like I don't really eat seafood that much. Um, Oddly enough, like being from California and and whatnot i've just like never been much of a seafood person but um yeah like to your point you just you don't have a lot of room to be picky because you can't like articulate like oh i don't want this thing on yeah, it you're or, also in you're also in someone else's culture and yeah yeah totally are you so, gonna refuse yeah so i was i was a lot more like experimental about like trying new things and like even since then uh, it's it's definitely like opened up my palate a lot since then and i actually like japanese mayonnaise a lot better i don't like american like mayonnaise it's got a lot of stuff in it yeah like the the kewpie mayo has like sugar and you know miso and like all kinds of stuff that makes it taste more like something yeah Yeah. so dalton you would say like i I because i remember when we went to japan um so that was what 2017 or like beginning 2018 yeah yeah uh, yeah so it's about probably about two, like two years two years ago uh, yeah so would you say that like you've became more of like an adventurous like eater in like eating at your like at home yeah or... totally okay. um I, I mean not at home because i don't buy things that i <laughs> but but you, you <laughs> right, know right in general yeah, when yeah. i when i go out to restaurants and things or like yeah it, it just helped like expand my palate a lot more or, or just like be more adventurous about like trying new things like i didn't even try like asparagus until like a year ago um like just because like as a kid i was like oh it's gross but like i was at a barbecue at omid's house and like some of his friends there were like vegetarian so like you know they they barbecued asparagus and i was like oh sure i'll try it and like literally the other day you know when i went grocery shopping i got like a gigantic thing of asparagus and you know had oven roasted asparagus the other day like and you know now it's like one of my favorite foods and same thing with like brussels sprouts like so like that i just like never would have tried before but even just like the experience of being in a different culture and like just trying new things and being like oh this isn't so scary after all or yeah. like you know even if i don't like it then it's like eh, it's not gonna kill me there's also the classic thing with vegetables where like with brussels sprouts it's it's pretty easy to make bad brussels sprouts and like I, I feel like the people when I was growing up, my family didn't know how to cook, so they would just they would take something like that and boil it and oh. put it on a plate. Oh, 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 oh. 
<laughs> I know. And then you're just like, well, this is this is this doesn't taste good. And of course, right? You know, you with Brussels sprouts or something like that, you you have to roast it. You have to put a bunch of oil on it. You have to Se- put a vinaigrette in there or season something. Season it, yeah. And you know, like people just have really I think that it's really easy to become a picky eater when you're a kid if the people around you are like not like super like food people right. if that makes sense mm-hmm. but yeah i mean just being in in japan i mean i was gonna bring this up earlier too just because i thought that we were all in japan together that year um that it just not even just with food but i think it just like made me a little bit more adventurous in general like it was there anything that you you took back from that trip leon like I, I mean, I, re- I remember we were going, we were walking through the park and you were like looking at the trees and you were like, oh, man, I've never seen trees this tall before. Oh, that's like, crazy. That like, it, but was there anything else that you like took from that experience? Because I, I think that was also your first time out of the country too, was it? Yeah, that was, I think my first time on a plane. Um, first time out of the country. And it, it was, there was, it was an overwhelming amount of stuff that I, came back from that trip with um seeing a different culture and being educated in a different culture made me just it opened my eyes so much to the possibilities of like basically and it sounds corny but like what life has to offer and it's like you go over to japan the trains are never late everything's clean they're quiet they're respectful and you understand culture a little bit better you know you understand their culture a little bit better so i mean i I walked away from that trip just like with an overwhelming amount of knowledge of like, wow, okay, so this is what the outside world's like. You yeah, know? It was just yeah. Like, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was my first time out of the country too, so I I think we kind of uh, connected over that a little bit. Yeah, but it just it's like wow, like this is nuts, like it's literally insane. What What was your experience of, uh, like going to the arcades and like interacting with the the players in the community there? Oh, that okay. So that is actually why I play DDR like in in, in the groove today right now. Because um, when I went to my first trip in Japan, basically that trip was motivated by like um, a period of my life where I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I was a cook at Cool Beans and I was going to school at Florida State, and I was just like, I really don't know what my future holds. And at some point, I made a decision that I was like, whatever I whatever I want to do, and I know if it it's gonna make me happy, I want to do it. So the KC came up and I was like, you know what? I'll go to Japan. It'll make me happy. So I went to um, Japan and I wasn't playing dance games at the time. Like I had no access. I had nothing around me. Um, the closest machine was six hours away. Um, so then I went to the arcade and everybody there was so kind. Like they didn't obviously like they didn't know who I was because like my videos were from like 2005, 2007. So they were just kind to me regardless. And it was really cool. It was like, no matter, I think there was someone who brought everybody energy drinks and like everybody there was just so nice. And they just loved DDR. They they just loved the game. They weren't there, you know, a couple of people were there to beat scores and everything. Everyone has their goals, but like you could look around and everybody was there just to have fun. Koji was playing Max Limited backwards. So it was like, it was really cool to me. You know, it was just like, it was like everybody had let loose and they were just enjoying the game. And it made me realize it's like, wow, that's, this is, they're playing to have fun, you know? And I think that's, that was a really eye opening experience. Yeah. It was, it, uh, 
totally like the same thing that it, it was just such a different atmosphere. And I mean, I think part of that was just because there were so many like people visiting. I, you know, I don't know if it's like that. I mean, Rogers spent more time in Japan, like on a normal day, I guess. So, you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit different, um, you know, day to day playing versus like, oh, like there's 30 Americans here. So we're going to like turn up and have some fun. But I, it was just like such an incredible experience. Yeah. I think that there's je- there's definitely a difference in the way people approach it. Like I I was there uh during this winter and you know I would go and uh Hoshikachi and Koji would be at the arcade that I was at and they would be doing what whatever what they do and they, you know it's like they just sit there and they play 18s for like 3 hours <laughs> and then leave. And like yeah, okay, like that's like a normal day for them, but that's like not a normal day for almost anyone here. Right, like so, it's just there's like difference, difference in like sort of the way people play, and even just the casual players. I I notice that it's like people will walk in and they'll 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 try and get something, like some some good score, but they'll also have like a a more um. It it won't be as like intense in like the they won't like get angry like the Americans do. Yeah. Like, you know, I go to the arcade and if I don't get the score I want, I'm like, it like ruins my day. And just... <laughs> That's it. But it didn't, it didn't seem to have that effect on a lot of people that I noticed. Yeah. Um, was, was there anything else uh, from Japan that you wanted to touch on Leon? I mean, you, you uh, got that, you, you got that, the, the knife, right? Oh, that is an amazing story. Yeah. So, um, the latter half of my trip to Japan, uh, the first half was like all DDR based, going to, um, gosh, what is it? What, what was the section of Japan called where uh, JPO was at? Well, gosh, uh, I mean, J- JPO was in like Chiba. Chiba, Chiba, but, Chiba. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, but... yeah. So, like, anyway, the first half of the section of the trip was like really DDR based, but um, second half, I went to, there's a street called, oh my God, I cannot believe I can forget it. Um, Kapabashi Street. And Kababashi Street basically is nothing but kitchen supply stuff. Literally on both sides of the street is nothing but kitchen supply stuff. I'm talking like um, ramen baskets, pots and pans, knife stores, um, fake food, um, plates, all literally from end to end of the street is kitchenware, right? And I'm like, oh my God, like I have literally stepped in heaven. Like this is literally, I can die here and I will be just fine. So I, you, you walk into this, into Kabibashi Street and there's literally a big ass chef on the, on the top of the uh, building. And you walk down the street and um, a lot of the stores are the same. They carry a lot of the same product. Um, some don't, um, but I ended up, there's two knife stores and um, I go to one of them. And they're very similar names, so I'm not going to try and say which one was which. It's on my Instagram. I'll have to check later. But um, this lady helps me out. I tell her I just want kind of like an inexpensive knife. And she gets me a small vegetable cleaver, engraves my name and kanji in it. She was very, very nice um, and told me how to take care of it, gave me some um, oils because it's a carbon steel knife, so it'll rust, and, and gave me a lot of information on the knife. Very, very nice. And so the next year I came back um, to that knife store I come into the same knife store. She's not there. I see a knife I want. It was really expensive, and I left. I was like, you know what? It's not. I, I, I'm not going to do it. And this place was really out of the way. Um, I was staying in, gosh, I was staying probably like 
30 minutes north of Ikebukuro, um, and this place was in Sakusa. So it was, it was a pretty dis- pretty far away away. Anyway, I came back to the place, um, and um, Saitama is what it was called. I came back to the place, and she was there. And I was like, hey, ah, do, do you remember me? So I showed her, her, I showed her the picture. Um, and actually, before I showed her the picture, she asked if I was here last the same time last year. I was like, yes. And she's like, did you buy a knife like this? I'm like, yes, I did. And then I showed her the picture, and she remembered. And it was so cool. And I was like, look, I want to buy this knife right here. And then she engraved my name and kanji in it and everything. And actually, on my sh- on my cooking streams, um, there's a knife in the overlay. That is that knife from the second trip to Japan. Oh, wow. That's, yeah. aw- that's a nice, like, that's a nice touch there. A little Easter egg. It ties it all together. Yeah. Um, I don't know about you guys. It you wanna you wanna wrap up here or? Yeah, I think we'll wrap it up. Do we we got a set of the week here? Oh God. Um. When when was the last time I played? <laughs> no, just, we don't we don't need yeah. uh we don't need set of the week. Maybe just uh recommendations. Something you've been uh watching on TV, or um listening to podcast books. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Check that out if you haven't already. Um, I, I, I've been watching... Uh, I watched uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz on Netflix, which is um, Thomas Middle Ditch from S- Silicon Valley and Ben Schwartz, who's uh, John Raphael from Parks and Rec. They have three um, like hour-long improv specials. If you've never seen like live improv before, uh, it's really interesting. Um, you should check it out. Yeah, I don't think I've been watching. Oh God, um, watch Leon's streams. Yeah, yeah there you definitely. go. Um, yeah, I stream Saturdays at seven thirty on Facebook Live, and then my dance game. Oh, my dance game streams next week. Uh, we'll have a new overlay, new audio, um, new lighting, and I have a new monitor I put in. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. I'm so excited. When's your next uh, cooking stream? My next cooking stream is going to be tomorrow at 7.30 on Facebook Live. My next cooking stream on Twitch will be next week at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, I'll okay. be doing curry. So I'll try and get this episode up before your next stream so that people can uh, can tune in. Uh, do, what, what are you going to be cooking? Uh, so I'm going to do – I wanted to do a curry stream, um, but last week was a mess. So I want to do the same thing. Um, next week with curries, um, just get a whole bunch of different curries and rice, and just taste them. Or uh, what are you doing tomorrow, though? Oh, tomorrow is going to be pasta. So tomorrow on Facebook Live, I'm doing pasta. Uh, be teaching pasta from scratch. Um, I'm going to be doing how to make like an Alfredo sauce from scratch. How to make a really good tomato-based sauce, um, and that's going to be it. Because what I do is what I'll like. You know how I'm, I'm listening to you right now. Is I'll be like, oh, I'll be doing fresh pasta, Alfredo sauce, and a and a tomato sauce. To me, that's like three things, and it's nothing, but that'll take up two hours. Yep. So I need to. I always need to remind myself like that is literally enough. Yeah. Over, that's over also sauce. like directly applicable to the situation that everyone's in right now. I I feel like I've been eating a lot of pasta because it's like, well, I got a lot of dried pasta, and I have onions, and you know, just like the kind of the staples that you can put together to make stuff. Yeah. Right. I just, I put bell peppers and onions and, and garlic and just about everything. So, um, all right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Leon. Um, right. this has been a very, very fun conversation and, and catching up with you both hearing Rogers, uh, dulcet tones once again. <laughs> 
Thanks. I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been a. It's honestly, I, I said this before, but it's like um, the era panel was the cool kids club when I first started back into dance games on Twitter and everything. So it's cool that I'm at this. I've, I've made it. You know, <laughs> uh, anybody can start a podcast. Um. Well, awesome. Uh, you know our sign off then. Oh God, it's been a while. No, I, I know. I, I, I <laughs> right as I said that, I forgot. I was. Like, oh yeah, it's uh, uh. Thanks for listening and thank you for playing. So. We'll, we'll give that a shot. Are you ready? There you go. All right. Thank you for listening, you for listening and, and thank, thank you, you for playing. For playing.